see what you can put in. That is the greatest gift of Alcoholics Anonymous. And if our disease is selfish and self-centered, then giving back, doing the 12th step, is the antithesis of what the problem is. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. So that was the voice of Miss Claudia that you heard at the beginning of this episode today. Claudia has been sober since March 27th of 1987. And I just know you are going to enjoy this episode as much as I did spending time with Miss Claudia. She is adorable. She's funny. Uh, she has loads of wisdom coming right at you. Uh, she addresses a couple of things during this episode that I had never heard about. One of them is the idea of rolling resentments. I had never heard that term before. She's going to talk about that. Uh, She's also going to address the subject of uh, attraction rather than promotion. And once again, I just know you're going to enjoy her. Um, Just a couple of uh, quick announcements here. Then we'll do some listener feedback. Then we'll get right into Miss Claudia's story. If you want to contact us, you can reach out at feedback at soberspeak.com. Also, if you're interested in knowing how to listen to the program via uh, either Google Podcast or iTunes or Spotify, you can text the word sober, S-O-B-E-R, to 31996. And if you're not following us on Instagram yet, please do. Uh, We are at soberspeak, all one word. So now, listener feedback. Victoria, writes in via our Facebook page, and she says, Hey, John, my name is Victoria B. I am a member of the AA Fellowship outside of New Orleans, Louisiana, or as some of us say, Nolens, Louisiana. I have enjoyed your podcast on my way to work, and episode and the episodes have really become my, quote, meeting between meetings, unquote. I am 30 years old and have been sober since March 14th, 2015. This is the, this is not only the longest sobriety I have had since I was 13 years old, but the first time I have experienced the miracle of recovery as a full-time employee and mother of a uh, mother of two, your podcasts have really helped me fill those gaps as I can only make it out to meetings twice a week. I appreciate your contribution to the AA community and look forward to listening to more. Um, 
more, exclamation more, exclamation point, excuse me. Thank you, a grateful alcoholic, Victoria. Well, thank you so much, Victoria, out there in the New Orleans, Louisiana area. I sure do appreciate you writing in. Polly writes in via email. But she says, my name is Polly and my clean date is 10-9-18. I am from the Oregon coast. I'm 40 and I recently completed a 90-day residential treatment program. This is my first time in recovery and I'm so grateful for what I am finding, exclamation point. I drank, quote, normally, unquote, for most of my life, although there were hints of problems and some very unhealthy thinking patterns. But several of us, but several years ago, a divorce from a 15 year marriage providing hospice care for my father and his subsequent death took me out hard and fast. I found your podcast searching sobriety and recovery podcast in my iPhone app. I've listened to several episodes and yours is truly my favorite. Thank you and all your guests for what you do, Polly. Well, Polly, thank you so much for writing in up there on the Oregon coast. We sure do appreciate you listening in. And uh, as I always say, I'm glad we can be a small part of your recovery. And I'm glad we can be a small part of many people's recovery who are listening in to us. Now, this is a voicemail from Mr. Jim, and I'm going to play that right now. And by the way, if you want to call in and leave a message, you can, if you pause your device, whatever you're listening to, you will see there is a link in there that says, leave us a message at, or you could just go to www.com forward, sorry, let me try that again, www.speak pipe.com forward slash sober speak. But here's Jim. Hello, John. This is Jim S. I am an alcoholic. I want to thank you so much for sober speak. I discovered your podcast when I was traveling across country and could not get to meetings. And thank you for providing my meetings between meetings. I've listened to a couple dozen now, and I must say I'm getting a lot of good stories, a lot of good information that I didn't know about AA, and a lot of experience, strength, and hope from each one. I have a special tip for those who are new listeners to Sober Speak. I want to recommend that you start with November 17th, Brenda J. Do not be discouraged. I'll tell you, her message is so powerful. And then the two weeks uh, with Jimmy D, December 8th and 14th, I learned more about sponsorship and more about spirituality from him uh, than just about anybody. I really appreciate that. And then go listen to uh, a tip that you may like. Uh, I'm a veteran, so I really appreciated Chris M. on February 14th talking about being a veteran and getting to step three. Thanks again, John. Thank you very much for that, Jim. Uh, now, Emily writes in on Instagram and Emily says, hi, I'm listening right now. Everything is coming out all at once and I'm bawling my eyes out. I surrender. I'm listening to the Arlena A episode, but the letter sent in from Jim in South Carolina hit me pretty hard. I'd been sober for three years and then it all went to shit over the summer. I have been addicted to many things in my life and am finally learning to keep sober from all of it. Booze, 
drugs, food, sex. I can, I can manage to abuse just about anything. I've never been to a meeting. I'm trying to find one locally. My therapist suggests, my therapist specializes in addiction. So I'm hanging on and hanging in there. Finally, I am living life in reality unaltered. Thank you for your work. It's really helping me until I can get more help, Emily. And Emily, like I said in my message back to you, if you need me to have somebody call you uh, within the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, I'm more than happy to have one of my lady friends reach out to you. um, And I just uh, pray that you will get the help you need. And I pray that you can make it to a meeting here eventually. Philip writes in, on Instagram from Sweden. And I am so glad to know that there is another person in Sweden that is a male not named Bjorn. I think we've had every Bjorn in Sweden write into us, say, hey man, thanks for the podcast. I listen to it now and then. I'm an alcoholic, sober over a year. Thanks to God and AA, namaste, hands. Well, Philip, thanks for writing in. We're glad you're getting the uh, uh, message over there in uh, Sweden and uh, sure do appreciate hearing from you you. Uh, Chad writes in on Instagram. First of all, Chad sent me a picture of his one month bright red and shiny um, recovery chip. And, uh, and underneath it, it says, thanks for what all you do with the podcast. Today was 30 days, smiley face. And I'm looking at that chip right now, Mr. Chad, and I'm so, uh, grateful for your sobriety. I sure do appreciate it. Okay. Now, and I sure do appreciate you uh, uh, sending in the information to me, I should say. So now we are on to Miss Claudia. Enjoy it. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. Today we are sitting here, and I am so, so looking forward to this interview with Miss Claudia H. Uh, you want to say hello to the uh, Sober Speak audience, Claudia? Hello, Sober Speak audience. <laughs> Great. So Claudia hails to us from uh, the Fort Worth, Texas area, right? Yes, that's so, true. So she came over tonight and uh, she's actually going to be, sp- I, I, I love this. I'm so appreciative. Claudia will be speaking later tonight mm-hmm. at another event that we have here locally. It's called the Tri-Cities event. And she's going to be speaking uh, there, but she came by to share a little bit of her time with me on the front end. And I am so, so appreciative of, of that. So, Claudia, uh, you know, I always kind of like to to ask one question off the bat, and then we kind of go around, then I just kind of go where my curiosity uh, takes me, if you will. So the question that I have for you right off the bat is, um, when did you first realize that you had or have a problem with alcohol? I would say that I became aware of it. Now, I believe there were others who were very aware of it long before it dawned on me. (laughs) In my mid-20s, I knew I had a problem with alcohol. Uh, I didn't get sober until I was 30, and my sobriety date is March 27, 1987. 1987, so that's 31 years? 31 years. If I make it to March the 27th of 19, it'll be 32 and uh, there's a gentleman who has appeared on this podcast before. His name is Clay D. I'm not sure if you know him, but his birthday 
is March 27th. Wow. I know that for a fact. So. It's a good omen. It is a good <laughs> omen. So you said you kind of started to realize you had a problem in your mid-20s, but uh, when did you start drinking? I mean, were you 14? Were you I, in your mid-20s? Or I was 13 years old. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't think I would be an alcoholic because I grew up in an alcoholic family. Uh, my father drank. My mother didn't until I was about 16. And I started drinking in order to fit in, basically. Well, let me just say this. When I was 13, I was a stick. Okay. <laughs> I didn't go through puberty till I was about 18 years old. And I used to cry to my mom and say, Mama, I want to be pretty. And she would say, but you're wholesome, like a cow. What I really wanted to be was a sex goddess. <laughs> But I was one of those people, I was very uncomfortable in my own skin. That was my earliest memory, is being uncomfortable and afraid. I didn't know how to talk to people. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to do relationships or life. And what happened for me is I went over to someone's house. Some older guys brought some liquor over. I started drinking, and for me, the magic happened. Suddenly, I could talk. I had something to say. You know, I wasn't a sex goddess, but I had a good chance on being a sex goddess <laughs> at some point in my life. Your odds were improving and, at that yeah, point. They were. I could, I could talk. I could be. I was okay. And I thought, this is it. This is what I've been looking for because I was okay for the first time in my life. You were okay within your own body or your own yes. skin at that point, right? Yes. It was my solution. Did you grow up in a, from your accent, it sounds like you grew up in Texas. Am I correct? Yes. I grew up in a little town in East Texas, and then we moved to Fort Worth when I was about 13. How would people describe you as a kid? What were you like besides a stick? Uh, I was a stick. Uh, before I started drinking, I was very good, very quiet, very respectful. I didn't get in trouble. I made good grades. I tried to blend into the wall. I was afraid if you looked too closely at me, you would see that something was wrong, that I had a fatal flaw of some sort. So you tried to blend into the wall. Yes. So at some point that changed, though. You started drinking. Yes. And then what did your behavior become like when you started drinking? I started getting in trouble. You know, um... Uh, my grades went from excellent to in the toilet. I ran away from home several times. I had to change schools. Did you have brothers and sisters? I did. I was the eldest of four. I have a sister that's 17 months younger than me and uh, a brother that's 14 years younger and one that was five years younger, but he died when he was 21. So, so when you ran away, where would you go and how long would it take you to get back generally? Well, well, the first time that I ran away, I was going to Boulder, Colorado, because that's where all the hippies were going. <laughs> I know that dates me, but that's where I was going, and uh, I really, you know, saw no reason not to. You know, at that point, I blamed my parents. I blamed my home life. You know, if they would do different, then I wouldn't be the way I am. And I was literally willing to do anything to be a part of. Right. 
just to feel part of uh, a society, yes. uh, to be be part of a group. Yes. Uh, and isn't it interesting that's what we find in Alcoholics Anonymous? Absolutely. That is the miracle of the program. But in a healthy way. In a healthy way. Yeah. And uh, I always say this today. Uh, you know, I got, I can, I'm okay in my skin. I can go anywhere. I can talk to anyone. I can do anything. The freedom that the steps and the principles have given me, words can't really describe it. You know, I'm going to quote Bon Jovi here, but words can't say what love can do. <laughs> That's great. Now, that is the first time Bon Jovi <laughs> has been quoted on Silver Speak. I can guarantee there you. Go. <laughs> it's a first. <laughs> All right. So take me then through, like I guess, like your mid-20s or so to where you first started to realize you were having some issues. Well, I, uh, I managed to graduate from high school uh, at the bottom of my class. And a uh, counselor called me in before I graduated. And she said, what are you going to do when you graduate high school? I said, well, I'm going to college. And she issued to me what I believe is the AA challenge. She said, you're not college material. <laughs> and I believe I have a degree today because I had to show her, I had to prove to her that I was capable of going to college. Ironically, the same thing happened to me at my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm. There was a girl, everybody came up and they gave me their numbers and they were very kind. But there was one lady that came up and she died sober. She's a tough old Barbara, deep old voice. <laughs> and, and she looked at me and she said, you'll never make it. I stayed sober at her for at least three go. months, and that's why I call it that the alcoholic challenge. But I graduated from high school. I got a better job waiting tables, and I got away from those people, you know, because I thought they were crazy. Mm. He was crazy, and she was crazy, and I, I needed to get as far away as I could as soon as I could. And so I enrolled in the community college. Got a better job waiting tables, as I said, and went to school full-time, partied full-time, and worked full-time. And I believe alcoholics have the constitution of oxes, because <laughs> we can do things and live to tell about it. I went there two years, went up to Denton to school for two years. Uh, my drinking was progressed. To the University know. of North Texas? Yes. Gotcha. Went there for a couple of years. And I'm running with people that drink the way that I do. I'm beginning to drink before I go to the bar. Now, I didn't see this as alcoholic. I didn't see it as a problem. I saw it as cost effective, <laughs> you know. So that's that's why I did that. And uh, But the people I'm running with, they're beginning to talk about my drinking when I'm up in Denton. They're beginning to say things like, you drink too much, Claudia. You drink and drive too much. So my 21st birthday rolled around. My best friend said, you're not going to drink and drive tonight. Forgot one thing. She was going to be driving, and she was drinking, too. And we totaled my car. I had a penchant for buying the worst cars on the market. You're probably not old enough to know these cars, but I had a Vega and two Pintos. Yes, with exploding gas tanks. And it yes. was one of the Pintos. The Pintos. Yes. And it was totaled, and I didn't know what to do. I um, had my head sewn up, and miracle was I didn't go to jail. 
and didn't know what to do. And so I called a guy I'd been seeing in Fort Worth. And I basically kind of had three kinds of relationships with men. They were nice guys, and I wouldn't have anything to do with them because they were boring. You know, I made gods out of them and followed them around like a puppy dog. They call that stalking today. I'm glad <laughs> I got sober before caller ID. And, uh, or they didn't like me. I didn't like them, and we had a long-term relationship. But I called, <laughs> he answered the phone, and I told him my tale of woe of how it was all my parents' fault. Poor me. And he said some magic words. He said, first of all, I'll come get you. This is a positive. And I'll take care of you. And I thought, that's what I need, because things are coming unwound. I'm losing bigger and bigger chunks of time. I'm beginning to feel remorse and guilt. But I quickly find that drinking will help alleviate that. He had another great characteristic. He lived within a mile of my job, and I don't have a car. So I moved in with him, and uh, we got married three months later. <laughs> it was a perfect match. It was a perfect match. I have a friend of mine who calls it like a, we all go out and strap on our wacko magnet <laughs> and exactly. find, find a mate. <laughs> so, so it looks like you were uh, progressing there. Yes, that's exactly what happened, and there were signs it wasn't going to be a marriage made in heaven. He was what I would call back then a weenie drinker. He'd drink two margaritas and get a headache. <laughs> I thought perhaps he'd get better with practice. <laughs> it never didn't work. It did not work. <laughs> you would think. Didn't, you would think, and he would say things like, all you want to do is party. And I would say, isn't that what life is? I began to hide my drinking because he began to fuss about my drinking. Now, again, I don't see this as alcoholic. I see it as necessary. You have to do what you do. I graduated from college, finished up at UTA with a degree in English literature, and I got certified to teach English and history. But I didn't teach, you know. Well, one thing I couldn't remember most of college, and I thought if you did teach, they might require you to know some of the great literature. It was a problem. <laughs> But um, they're picky that nah, way. They are just picky that way. I got a great job waiting tables. And, you know, I kept thinking, and I began to know that something was wrong, but it couldn't be the alcohol. It couldn't be the alcohol because that was my solution. And I didn't have another one. So I got a great job waiting tables. But again, alcoholism progresses. I love that line in Bill's story that says, you know, gradually things got worse. Gradually, Things got worse, and I kept thinking that something external was going to make me okay. Getting the degree, getting married, turning 25, I thought that was the magic age, and I likened it to feeling grown up. I wouldn't feel the need to do the things that I was going to do, and I thought of all the things that really would, would make me okay, that I would quit partying. That's the way I would style it to myself back then would be to have children you know and so I got pregnant for the first time but my first baby was stillborn oh my God. and the remorse and guilt was horrendous and then I got pregnant again with my oldest daughter got pregnant again after that with my second daughter and then for the last time with my son I drank during those pregnancies. My children are very aware of that fact today. They've heard me tell my story. They know everything, and they're great kids. Mm. One went to University of Texas on a full-ride academic scholarship and speaks three languages. Another one is 
in the army and has gone quite far and the other one is gainfully employed and we have great relationships but that's because of the program of alcoholics anonymous did it take you did you have to repair some of that after you got sober or did you get sober while you had when you were raising them when i was raising them i got sober they were four two and 18 months when i got sober and so what actually happened next was uh I knew then that I was an alcoholic because I know what an alcoholic looks like and acts like and smells like because I grew up in that. That really was my bottom. I didn't want to create an alcoholic home for those children. I couldn't live with that. It was a bridge too far. Um, I was, I've been given a lot of grace. Someone I sponsor the other day had not heard me speak, and she did, and she said, you know, you've been given a lot of grace. And I said, an inordinate amount of grace, because I have. Now, I knew there was a solution at this point. I didn't really want it to be Alcoholics Anonymous, but when I was 16, my father quit drinking for the first of many times. He did not go to the program, and when he wasn't drinking, he was angry and very bitter. My mother, who had never drank, started drinking, became a total alcoholic, and lost everything in four years' time. Wow. One day, she calls me from a treatment center. Then she starts going to Alcoholics Anonymous. And my mother became different. I was impressed, because if you could sober her up, you could do something. And, you know, as alcoholics, I believe we use people up. And we can do that drunk or sober. If we don't change. And I believe mom's the last to go. I was a phone drunk. I like to call and have long conversations with anybody that hang on the phone with me between 12 <laughs> right. and 4 in the morning. I understand. And they, they didn't have a caller ID <laughs> back then, too, ID. so they, they couldn't screen you. Slam the phone down. <laughs> but my mother would answer the phone. And she never once said, you're an alcoholic. She never once said, go to AA. She practiced the principle of attraction not promotion. And what happened for me is on March the 27th, 1987, I came to about 10 o'clock in the morning. I had been drinking because I was a daily drinker by this point. And I called Alcoholics Anonymous. And I believe I chose life that day. And every day that I do this deal, I choose life. Not just for me, but for those around me, because if I go back out tomorrow, I'm going to tear some people up on the way down because that's the nature of alcoholism. So obviously that hit an emotional cord with inside you, Claudia. What is it that you, what, what are you thinking about? What goes through your head when you're thinking about your relationship with Alcoholics Anonymous? What a gift it is. What a gift it is. I tried everything I knew to not drink. Just like the book describes, I tried beer. I did this. I went to church. You know, I went to school. I, I, went, I went to work and lost several jobs. I left him. I drank more. None of that worked. None of that worked. But AA did. AA did. And it's changed your life, hasn't it? It's changed my life because it's so much more than just sober. What is it? What is it? Just for, you know, there are people out there who have, who are listening to this, 
um, who are struggling with sobriety, actually. Yes. Um, they don't see any way out. And as you know, the original title of the big book they tried to get out with was The Way Out. Yes. They don't see the way out. Can you share a little bit about your experience and what AA has done for you during these 30-plus years? Yes. For for me, the biggest thing was that I, that I did what was suggested. This program is very simple. Get a sponsor, follow direction, work the steps out of the big book. And they say a lot, wait till the miracle happens. If it worked for me, it will work for absolutely anyone. It took about six months before I quit thinking about drinking. But I had to work at it. I did what my sponsor suggested. She said I had to start giving back immediately. And that's what I would tell them too. Get a home group. Take a commitment. My first job was washing ashtrays. I couldn't talk once you removed the alcohol because I still have that problem of I don't know how to do people. But I could wash a mean ashtray. (laughs) My sponsor said, get there early, stay late, ask people how they're doing, and don't talk about yourself. And I'll, I'll tell you the truth. I didn't believe it would work. I thought it'd work for you or someone else, but not me, because I'd been the baddest of the bad, worst of the worst. But it did. She said, go to meetings. Open the big book. Begin on the blank page. Work through the steps. She pointed out to me that by step 12, we've had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. You just mentioned, she said, begin on the blank page. What does that mean? That means that she said, this is what you know about the program of Alcoholics (laughs) Anonymous. (laughs) The blank page right at the beginning of the big book, right? She also told me uh, that if I had a thought in the first year and it felt right, it was probably alcoholism. If it felt wrong, it might be recovery, but check with her first. (laughs) (laughs) So do the opposite of what you're thinking for quite some time. (laughs) Exactly. So you mentioned service there and putting in and washing ashtrays. What else does service look like from your point of view? Can you describe that to me? Well, greeting at the door, saying, hi, how are you? I think we as alcoholics are feelers of people. You can spot that person in the meeting that's not okay. Instead of hanging back, go up to them. I don't care if you're one day sober. You can help someone else. See what you can put in. That is the greatest gift of Alcoholics Anonymous. And if our disease is selfish and self-centered, then giving back, Doing the 12th step is the antithesis of what the problem is. It works. You can't, I can't think about me if I'm thinking about you. And, and I, I do it today. I will go from my kitchen to my garage, and I've got some problem that's not really a problem. Like I don't have LED lights on the rent car. I was telling you about that earlier, and I'm upset about it. And my only solutions are homicide and suicide. <laughs> it's awful. It's bad. It's ugly. The horribleizing. <clears throat> the, the horribleizing. Yes, catastrophizing. And one of my sponsees will call, or a member of AA will call, and suddenly 
I'm listening to them, and they're telling me about their tale of woe. And I have to set aside thoughts of killing myself or other people and focus on them. Invariably, I hang up the phone and I'll think, what was I so upset about? Everything's great in my life. That's, right. That's the way it works Isn't for me. It? <laughs> That's so sad, isn't it? Yes. I, I'm saying sad for me because I, <laughs> I have been there, Miss Claudia. Yes. I get that. You know, it strikes me, too, that you were talking about, I mean, I know a lot of people come in and they have kind of like a, a, a Bill W. type of experience, you know, mm-hmm. right from the beginning. They don't have any cravings whatsoever. Yes. But for you, it took six months at least yes, of mine, doing service work. Mine was the, of the educational variety and working those steps and attempting to practice those principles, you know, little by slow. I, as I said earlier, I saw God in the third step. I knew what y'all were talking about with the power greater than yourself. But I didn't think God wanted anything to do with me. My sponsor told me to act as if, to do the work, and it changed. My bush has not burned all at once. It's burned one leaf at a time, and it's still happening. I'm still coming to believe. You get me in a new area, and I have to come to believe again, you know. Now, I have more faith now than I did then. But I have to work at it again. My God has to get bigger. My conception of God, power greater than yourself, has to become bigger. One more time. So we will be continuing our conversation with Claudia in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the web at SoberSpeak.com. There you will find uh, a whole back catalog of uh, other episodes you can listen to for free. Remember, you can also find the donate button on our website if the spirit moves you. Please keep in mind this podcast is funded by you, the listener. Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. Now back to Claudia. So I want to ask you about the 12th step and and the piece of the 12th step where it says having had a spiritual experience as a result of these steps. And you kind of alluded to it there just a moment ago, but talk about your, you know, people hear the word spiritual experience and sometimes they get a little weirded out by that. What does it mean to you? What does a spiritual experience mean to you? That I can do what I couldn't on my own unaided will alone. I can stay sober one day at a time. I can do things like come to and do sober speak and never feel a glitch, never feel nervous. You know, now that took time. The rest of it took time. But I I don't think about drinking. I can go anywhere, any place. And as long as I do certain things, I can be free of that compulsion. And it says, we have recovered from a seemingly hopeless, hopeless state of con- mind and body. And body. Right? Exactly. And uh, that is where alcohol is concerned, yes. right? Doesn't mean that we don't have fears and we or don't have problems. resentments and the whole exactly. nine yards. Exactly. But I have steps that deal with those things. You know, I've wanted to get crazy this week over the rent car, over the fact that my new glasses are not in. Now, these are not big problems, but I can make them so. <laughs> 
<laughs> because I have the mind of an alcoholic. It can make those huge, big problems when the truth is that there was a time I didn't have a car, you know? All I wanted was a ride. Now I want a special ride, you know, (laughs) and things like that. But I have principles. I can look at that and I can pick up a tool within those steps. I can go look at what you have. Be grateful for what you have. I can talk to a sponsor about it. I can set it aside. All of those are ideas, tools, and principles within the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's interesting. I was thinking about some of that the other day myself and, you know, what we call princess problems. Yes. Uh, And for me, you know, what I figured out the other day is it's not that I do not believe that I'm going to be, quote, taken care of, but I want to be more than taken care of, which is uh, uh, so, so sad. Um, So I have another question for you, and that is, what do you consider the best piece of counsel or advice or direction that you have been given during your time within the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous? Get a sponsor, work the steps, give back, or trust God, clean house, help others. So you got a, so you got a sponsor mm-hmm. and uh, explain how that, that helped you. And then I also want you to talk about that, that phrase there to where you hear uh, clean house and work with others, right? Which is kind of a summation of Alcoholics Anonymous. So talk about that a little bit. Well, I didn't know what a sponsor was when I first came in. And I, I think a lot of people are a little frightened by that idea because it's like, what does that mean? And then you hear things like, well, stick with the winners. Well, who are they and how would you know one? Uh, I was told to pray about it, to ask God to guide me to someone. And I'll be frank, the my first sponsor, and I see her all the time today, I chose her not because I thought she was a... A great example of the program. I chose her because she had a cute haircut, cute clothes. (laughs) She had a car. And all four wheels were the same. And the windows didn't just roll up. They rolled back down. I just... They went up and down. They went up and down. I wanted everything she had. You know, I didn't know that she was Miss AA, basically. But thank God, I was given exactly what I needed. Now, the other thing about... Well, I must say, though, you do have cute hair and cute you. clothes yourself. See, You're quite I, welcome, Miss Claudia. I have tried Claudia. to emulate her, absolutely. <laughs> but I did what she said, and that's the thing, and she didn't direct me to do anything difficult. As I said before, go to meetings, give back, work the steps. You know, I'm the one that has to call her. I have to reach out. I have to ask for help. And then she guided me. And I've been very blessed in this program to have great sponsors who will tell me the truth, who love me enough to tell me the truth. Talk about your sponsors a little bit. What have they done for you over the years? Well, let's say I call. Today I called and I wanted to fuss about the lack of LED headlights. And the fact that I had to ask someone to drive me over here because I want to do it myself. And she said, it's hard to ask for help, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And I went, yes, it is. She goes, it sure does mess with that ego. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there's no more conversation because I just, that means she's done. Move on. <laughs> right. 
But that's the kind of thing. I bring those kinds of things to a sponsor. Resentments, fears. She gives direction, usually prayer. Go help somebody else. Call three people and ask them how they're doing. What is your commitment at your home group? Things of that nature. Like That's an accountability partner, uh, so to speak, An right? accountability partner as well as someone who gives direction when my mind will not think of it. Do you remember the first time you went through the steps and what that experience was like? It was, and it kind of harkens back to something that you asked me before uh, about the spiritual experience and the leaf spurning. As I said, I didn't think that God or a power greater than myself wanted anything to do with me. And when I was 11 months sober, I left that first husband with $10, three kids, and two suitcases and went to a women's shelter. And I told my sponsor, I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. They eat three times a day. (laughs) And she said, you're going to trust God. I said, okay. But they eat three times a day. And she said, trust God. I said, I've got the concept. Where is the food coming from? (laughs) And, of course, I had to walk through that. And she walked with me. And she would say, trust God a lot. Stay in today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Actually, what she'd say is, you and your little finite mind cannot envision God and next Tuesday together. So you better stay right here and today and you will be given everything that you need. And that's exactly what happened. And little by slow, I began to believe that God wanted something to do with Claudia. You know, got out of that women's shelter, was able to get a job and then another job, find an apartment save enough money to get a car. Now, the windows didn't necessarily roll up and down, but it was a ride. I could get there, you know. It got you from point A to point B. Yes, it did. So you said something about your first husband. That kind of, uh, uh, I assume then there was a second husband. There was a second husband, and I met him in Alcoholics Anonymous. Boy meets girl on AA campus. Exactly. He had 18 years more sobriety than me, and he was 21 years older than me, and nothing like I'd ever picked before. Well, one, he had a job and wasn't living with his mama. We can, can we say that? Uh, <laughs> he went to work on a regular basis. Um, and I'd done a lot of work in that area. Four steps, working six and seven. Those, looking at where I was at fault and what I needed to do to be different. And what my sponsor suggested that I do was to let God decide. I didn't want God to decide because he might say nothing. Yeah. And I wanted somebody that was a good father, and that's who he was. And uh, we were married for 20 years, and he died uh, seven years ago in April. But we had a good run. Yeah. We had the best time. We were best friends. We were business partners, marriage partners, parenting partners. And we, we built a business we parented together. I never got any child support or anything like that. And he was a good father to my children. And he had two grown children. And so we combined those families. And we prayed every day that we could blend the families. And they're still all together. You know, I have two stepkids, one borrowed child that I borrowed in Alcoholics Anonymous. He got sober on our 
front porch and three regular he six got, grand. Well, back up there, he got sober on your front porch? <laughs> yes, he was just, he'd come to Fort Worth. He was newly sober, and he'd come over every day and eat dinner. And just, he was, you know how we are in early sobriety, crazed. And... Uh, <laughs> He'd stayed for dinner, and then he started coming Thanksgiving and Christmas, and I was there for the birth of his first child. He thinks I'm his grandmother, so there you have it. That's the way it works in IA. Do you remember your first meeting by any chance? Absolutely, I do. Tell me about that. I'd been drinking. Good thing that sober was not requisite for the first meeting. I know that I did not look well. I had broken out in hives. I was scared to death to walk in scared to death to walk in and I walked into the meeting and uh, the girl that I had 12 step me met me there and they had a first step meeting for me it was a discussion meeting in other words they went around the room and everyone told about their experience of coming into Alcoholics Anonymous uh, they t- they did tell me to shut up because apparently I couldn't just share whenever I wanted to. I had something to say because I'd been drinking you know <laughs> but they didn't kick me out. What I remember most was the laughter. That was what hooked me. That, and you drank like I did, and you felt like I did. But it was the laughter that really drew me in, because you were happy, and I wanted some of that happy. And it had been a long, long time since I'd been happy. But that's what we get by doing the work, by staying in the program by continuing in there really the things that i do on a daily basis to stay sober are minimal i mean it's not much for what i've gotten because i get to be first of all i think free and then happy and joyous on a daily basis no amount of money can buy that when you were coming into the program and I'm sure there was that little voice inside you. Uh, it was in me, you know, and I hear people talk about it all the time, saying, no, I can't. I can't get through that door. Uh, I'm, I'm unwilling or I'm scared or there's something just not right about this. Mainly it's fear, usually, right? What can you attribute your getting past that moment, getting past that fear to anything in particular? I had run out of ideas. I tried everything I knew to get sober. None of it worked. Leaving him, staying, going to, I went to church. I taught Sunday school, drinking, thinking that if I just stood next to normal people, maybe it would jump onto me. I I would read self-help books. The 80s were full of self-help books, you know, but then I'd be in blackout, wouldn't remember what I'd read. I'd make lists. I thought if I'd just get more organized, and then I couldn't read the list that I'd wrote, or or I'd forget that I had the list. You, I tried everything, and none of it worked. AA for me, even though when I came in, I was still living in a home, I still had some stuff, it was the last house on the block for me. I rolled the dice that this would work because I was out of ideas. And that for me is what a bottom really is. Because then I was willing to follow the direction of a short little woman. I didn't know her last name for six months. <laughs> the gift of desperation is what we the call it. The gift of desperation. That's a great way to phrase that. 
this is kind of a, a, a different kind of question, okay. and that is, what is one thing that people maybe don't know about you that you usually maybe would not share within one of your AA talks? By the way, Claudia does a lot of AA talks, uh, and if you're interested in getting a hold of her, just contact me, and, and I'll forward the email to her. By the way, I'm at john at soberspeak.com or feedback at soberspeak.com, but what is... Uh, the one thing maybe people don't know about you. Can you think of something? I'm still wild and crazy. <laughs> you know, I'm just happy in the crazy that I am. I've been trying new things lately, stepping outside the box. And like I, what? Like, give me a, an well, idea. I'm, I'm working again, and uh, I never thought I would be working again outside the business. I thought, well, I'd be too frightened to try it again, and I just went out and did it. You know, I learned to paddle board and uh, I made an idiot of myself. I know at first, but I didn't fall off and I actually enjoy paddle boarding and that I'm I'm kind of a risk taker in a lot of ways when it comes to stuff like that. I'm willing to try new foods and to go places and to meet new people. And I don't think they would assume that about me. I just look like a little old lady. (laughs) <laughs> when when something comes upon you like fear or resentment uh describe to me what your thought process is and and how you get through it and how you incorporate the tools of the program let's just take fear because fear doesn't go away you know it morphs and changes and i believe that the alcoholic mind naturally goes to resentment the big book of alcoholics anonymous gives us direct tools on fear and resentment there is the fear prayer you know and i say that a lot when i'm afraid of something uh usually my fears today are things that i imagine might happen way in the future So I can use the fear prayer. I can say, God, please remove my fear and direct me to to be the woman you would have me be. I can call someone. I can talk about that fear. It always cuts it in half. I can talk to my sponsor about that particular fear. Or some of my sponsees, because a lot of them have time, you know. And they'll say, well, you told me when I felt that I was supposed to do this. You know, but I love the fear prayer in the big book because we're going to have fear. Stuff is going to happen just because we get sober doesn't mean that you're not going to have financial reverses and financial gains, that you're not going to, to have spouses die or other tragedies. What it enables me to do is to go through those things with dignity and grace and the power greater than myself that I choose to call God as my strength. That's what the fear prayer reminds me of. That's what my sponsor reminds me of. Resentment is a sneaky snake. You know, I can find myself building a case against someone and not be blissfully unaware. Again, that's why I need the accountability of a sponsor because they can say, you That's a resentment. And I'll go, well, that's not a resentment. I'm not angry. I'm just thinking of everything that they do wrong a whole lot. But again, to the big book, the resentment prayer, the sick man's prayer, is not actually for that person. It's for me because it says, God, save me from being angry. 
The problem with resentment is that, as the book says, it takes out alcoholics. I can't afford it. I have not grown angel's wings in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I've not become a perfect person. I can go out here and be ugly just walking outside the house. Hopefully, I will wait till I get outside the house before I start acting ugly. Uh, you know, but resentment is the number one offender. I can't afford it. Now, having said that, in 31 years, I've played in some resentment puddles. When I was about 13 years sober, I thought, well, I'm not going to tell the sponsor about that one. We've talked about it before because it's what I call a rolling resentment. Someone in my life that gets on my last nerve that I like to blame for everything. A rolling resentment. A rolling resentment, you know, and that's and my sponsor would say, you are responsible for the quality of your life. Not them, they are their dog. But I thought, I'm not going to tell her because I know what she's going to say. She's going to say, do a, an inventory. She's going to say, look at where you're at fault. She's going to say, pray the prayer. You know, I know what she's going to say, so why should I say anything to her about this again? You know. And after about a year, I woke up one day, and I felt like I did the day I came into Alcoholics Anonymous. Then I had to call same sponsor and say, I've got to talk to you. And I went over to her house and for about four hours, and I would think I was through. You know, I would go, blah, 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 blah. And then I'd vomit some more, and she'd go, are you through? And I'd go, yes, no, I'm not through. Because it layered up. It layered up on me. And that's what's scary to me about resentment. I have to be vigilant with my 10th step, with my 11th step. Because it's waiting there for me. I love how you said a little bit ago that it helps me to go through all these situations that I have with dignity and grace. And uh, it's not that life is not going to creep upon us. Um, You know, your husband passed away. I'm sure you've encountered many other things during sobriety that were not so pleasant. But it definitely helps you to get through things with... I will say this, though, John. What I have found is that God meets me at the moment of my need. Once I start walking, let's say it, a fear, I pray the fear prayer, ask God to remove it, and then I start walking through whatever it is that's terrifying me. And someplace in the walking, it gets removed. I have to do something for sobriety. I have to take action or refrain from action, but I have to do something. God will do everything for me that I cannot and nothing that I can. Someplace in the walking, it gets removed. Yes. That's beautifully said. Thank you. All right. So believe it or not, time has flown by. Wow. Is there anything that you want to add for the Sober Speak listeners before uh, you uh, depart? I just want to say thank you to John for giving me this opportunity. It was very comfortable, very easy to do. And I'm so grateful for Alcoholics Anonymous. So grateful. Me and you both, Miss Claudia. God bless you. Thank you for coming by. Um, I do have a little uh, tradition here where we close it up. Uh, if I remember, sometimes I don't remember the <laughs> page 164 of the big book. Uh, I love that. The 12 steps in that paragraph. Yep. 
It says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, like Claudia and myself, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Miss Claudia, thank you so much for coming by. Thanks for having me.